H2O. You probably all know what that is. A molecule of water has two atoms of and one atom of that is water in its elemental state, right? Two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen. There no, doesn't need to be a one there since there's only the letter. But that is what water is. On a fundamental level, that is what water is. If you change either one of these, you no longer have water. If you have H2O2, what do you have? Somebody knows that. I heard it. Okay, but better known as hydrogen what? Peroxide. I wouldn't recommend drinking that. If you take away an, uh, an atom of hydrogen, you have hydroxide. Better not drink that either. What's my point? If you change it, you no longer have water. If you change the elemental structure, you no longer have water. Water. You have something else. In our text today, in Paul's life and teaching, we see the gospel. We see grace. We see Christianity in its elemental nature. And the things that I'm going to highlight, take away one of those, or two of those, or add to them, and you no longer have Christianity. If you wanted to represent it, I guess you could put, I would put the ones just to separate it, but it would be either R, F, and SD, or R1, F1, SD1. Standing for repentance, faith, and self-denial. It's in the text. So as Paul is recapping his ministry, we're only going to do half of what he said to the Ephesian elders this morning. These things just jumped out to me. Paul's lives show that the message of Christianity is repentance and faith and the application of Christianity is self-denial. It must be there. Repentance, faith, and self-denial. That's what we see in our text. And as we've said before, we're nearing the end of the third missionary journey. Paul is going to Jerusalem. He will be arrested. He will finish this talk. He gives a warning after the section we're going to look at today. He gives a warning which you heard me read and then moves on out toward Jerusalem. We'll deal with the warning next week. But today, just looking at Paul's recap of his life in Ephesus, we see these things highlighted. That the message of Christianity is repentance and faith or what it requires, and the manner of Christianity, how we live it out, is in self-denial. So first, look, look back at 17 to 21. The message of Christianity is repentance and faith. Paul says, you yourselves, this is the second half of verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And you've seen that. We've seen that over and over and over. When Paul would go into an area, he would go to the synagogue. And he would start preaching the kingdom. He would be preaching the gospel. And some would respond. And sometimes they'd want to hear it again. But as, as that message of the gospel began to take root, the Jews would get jealous and start to persecute the church and want to have the message stamped out. 
So he says, many trials happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And we've seen that. And he said, how I did not shrink. He did not, the, that, the, the, the strategy didn't win. In fact, it, it just spurred more growth. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. From teaching you in public, like the hall of Tyrannus. We talked about that in Ephesus where they were there, you know, two years or so. Just lecturing in the lecture hall there. And so meeting in a public place. And teaching the gospel. And worshiping together. All of those things. And then from house to house. He would, he would go into homes. And you know people would meet in homes as well. They, it's interesting to me. This is sort of a side note. How people will take a verse like this. And try to establish we should only have church in houses. Just go read chapter 19. But I mean. That's really not what this verse is even about. If you're only going to do what the early church did or just cherry pick verses, they walked everywhere they went. You want to do that? No air conditioning. No Google. No cell phones. I mean, it gets silly. I know. I'm just I'm being silly a little bit. But there's this movement going on today about we should only church should only meet in houses and it's just faults and it divides the church it splits the church and even though famous people you might like promote it it is not true and it's not biblical it's all right to meet in houses we started in a house it doesn't mean you have to stay there anyway rabbit shot moving on He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public, ministering to you from house to house. We need to do more of that as, as pastors. And we know that we need to do more of that. Um, testifying both to Jews and Greeks. So now watch this. The message is the same, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Both are under sin. Both need a Savior. Romans chapter 3. Same message to both. Part of what was an offense to the Jews. But he said, testifying to both the Jews and Greeks of, here we go, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That was his message. That's what he was testifying to. That's what he was calling them to, was repentance and faith. And that's a summary statement. Of course, we know that he was preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus. It's the good news that we are lost and can't save ourselves. That's one of the things the law does for us. It shows us our sin and that we fall short and there's no way we can be good enough to save ourselves. And in, in fact, this may be offensive to you. The Old Testament would teach you you can't be good at all. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. We have never had a good day as far as making ourselves acceptable to God. We are sinners in need of a Savior. So Paul would faithfully preach that. But he would preach the good news that since we cannot save ourselves and God gave a people to His Son before the foundation of the world, He sent His Son to save His people by living in complete fulfillment of His law for His glory and for His people. Jesus never sinned once. He deserved only blessing. He fulfilled the law in thought, word, and deed. But then he took our guilt upon himself and died, satisfying justice. The soul that sins shall die. Spiritual death as well as physical death. You can say Jesus took eternity of punishment. He took hell for us on the cross and drank that cup dry because he was God and man in one person. Jesus the Christ or the Messiah. 
Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, Paul says, predicted in the Old Testament. He was buried. He really died. And He was raised from the grave the third day, proving it's all true. And He gives salvation to those who will receive it as a free gift. But it comes through the means of repentance and faith. We are all born if, and God is not, God is everywhere, but if you imagine God is to my right, we are all born with our backs towards God. We rebel against God either through religious roads or irreligious roads, but we are born in sin, the Scripture says. We are born dead in sins and trespasses, unresponsive to the truth of who God really is and what He requires of us. And what is required of us when we hear the Gospel that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, He was raised from the grave, and He, he bids you to come and receive His salvation. What is required, obviously, is obvious. We have to turn towards God and receive Christ as Savior. So repentance is a turning and faith is a trusting. And we'll talk about those two. Uh, Shorter Catechism defines repentance as this. And if you want to go read it later, it's number 87 in Westminster Shorter Catechism. Sometimes we have people ask, why do you quote catechisms? Well, only to the extent that they're good. Right? A catechism in and of itself has no authority. It only has authority if it accurately represents what Scripture teaches. So the authority is in Scripture. But catechisms are good tools for teaching the faith. I mean, do you ever ask your kids questions and, about Jesus and then give them the answer? You're catechizing them. Simply. It's a way to teach. But the, 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 the shorter catechism, number 87, defines repentance this way. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. Now watch this. Whereby a sinner, that's how we're all born, rebelling against God, going our own way. Whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, so the law comes and it convicts us, yes, we are sinful, and we deserve condemnation, not blessing. We deserve curse. So it says, out of a true sense of his sin and an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. See, you have to hear the gospel to really, truly, biblically have repentance here. So you, you realize your sin and you see that the mercy of God is available in Christ Jesus. It says, from that standpoint, the sinner does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it to God. Hear the turning away from sin and self to God. Turn from it to God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. The obedience is the fruit of repentance. repentance. Repentance is a change of the soul. It's the reception of a new heart that now hates sin and loves God and wants to submit to Him. Now, we won't be perfect. But in order to receive His salvation, we have to stop running from God in His ways and turn and be willing to receive who Christ is. So it's a change in a direction of the soul that results in a change of action in the life. The obedience is a fruit of repentance. You can see John the Baptist explaining that. Bear fruits of repentance, he says. So what happens is the gospel comes into our life and, and God brings conviction of sin with that gospel and He shows us that Christ is the Savior. He works in us now a hatred, a willingness to reject Rebellion against God and embrace submission to God so that we turn and trust in Jesus. Repentance is one side of the coin. If you think of conversion, 
when you come to faith, I don't have a coin, but I'll illustrate it with my hand. One side of, if you have a coin, you see one side has one thing on it, one side has another. Conversion or coming to Christ is made up of, if it's a coin, repentance on one side, faith on the other. It's the two sides of the one coin of conversion. There's always a turning and a trusting if we're saved. Repentance sometimes is spoken of in Scripture as the whole of salvation. Faith is sometimes spoken of as the whole. But they are both integral elements of coming to faith in Jesus. So Jesus taught this. He says in Luke 24, 46-47 when He's commissioning the apostles, look what He tells them to do. Because why am I making a deal out of this? Some, some people just ignore repentance and won't preach it. Some people actually think it's not necessary and a thing in the New Testament church. But Jesus didn't seem to hold that opinion. In Luke 24, 46-47 it says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer, written in the Old Testament, and on the third day rise from the dead. And watch this. Watch this. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the message of the apostles was to be a calling on people to repent. You hear that all through the Old Testament prophets. Turn to God from sin. Love Him. Trust Him. Joyfully obey Him. Jesus said that repentance encapsulating the whole of conversion, He didn't mean that faith wasn't necessary, obviously. But He said repentance would be preached to all the nations. Repentance leading to, into, or for forgiveness which is found in Christ. Preached in the whole world. And Paul was an apostle and he took up that mantle and look what he did. And we've seen this already in our study in chapter 17. He said this, the times of ignorance. Now he's preaching Christ and the resurrection uh, to, to, on, on Mars Hill to the philosophers there. And he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, watch this, watch this. He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has given, whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. So the resurrection assures to you, all of you, that Christ is the Savior, the only Savior. And on the basis of God sacrificing His Son and Him being raised from the dead, He commands all of us to repent, to turn back to God, and to receive Christ. As our Savior. So repentance, and this is just a nutshell, but it's an essential element. Repentance is a turning of the soul that results in a turning of the life. Because what the Gospel produces by the Spirit working in us and God giving us a new heart, it gives us new love and hatred. It shifts our paradigm so that before we loved sin and hated righteousness, now we love righteousness and hate sin. I'm not saying we'll be sinlessly perfect, but we will want to be. If we're converted. Repentance is a turning of the soul that results in a turning of the life. We now have a new love. Jesus. A new hatred against sin and unrighteousness. Which results in new actions. I mean after all what did Jesus say? If you love me. You will keep my commandments. If you love me you will obey me. Just a statement of fact. 
Gospel give us a new love, a love for Jesus who sacrificed Himself for us so that we turn away from selfishness and pursuing sin. Listen, if you're still friends with sin, you probably aren't friends with Jesus. Notice I didn't say if you're still, you know, if you still, if you still have sins you're struggling with and want to be free of, welcome to the club. We all are in that. We all have what the Puritans call besetting sin. We want to be glorified. We yearn for it. But if Jesus is just sort of stamping a ticket to heaven for you and it doesn't really bother you about how you live, that's not the Jesus of the Bible because He sets His people free from everything that entangles them and endangers them. Sin is an enemy, not a friend. Pleasure in, it from the, pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof is death. So God calls on us to repent, to turn back to Him, to receive His Son. So Paul said he preached the gospel and therefore as the, applica- you know, the call of the gospel is repentance toward God. And the second thing he mentioned in verse 21 is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't come to faith in Jesus at some point and decide whether sometimes later you're going to make Him Lord. Sorry, that's already been done. He's on the throne. We don't make him anything. But the the Jesus Paul called people to trust in was the one who was Lord, King, reigning. Now, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Definition of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. This is Shorter Catechism 86. It's just a good definition. It's easy to remember if you want to memorize it. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. Praise God. Whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered to us in the Gospel. In other words, we receive the Jesus that the Scripture teaches. There's all sorts of Jesuses out there. Preached and taught by people. But there's only one true Jesus. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ who is taught in the Scriptures. Who is God, truly God, truly man, one person. The God-man, our Savior. But faith is God working in us. That's why it says it's a saving grace. So that we receive and rest in Him. In other words, we place all of our hope in Jesus for salvation. That was pictured by the story I told you. Where the man piled up his sin and he piled up his good deeds and he ran from both of them to Jesus. Hoping in Jesus alone. Ephesians teaches this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Listen, it's not your faith that saves you. God doesn't ask you how much faith you have. And I'll go ahead and confess your sin with mine. None of us have a perfect faith. And in fact, the meter of faith is probably bouncing around day to day. But if pressed to the wall, our our hope is in Jesus. See, we're saved through faith. When you receive, like holidays are coming up, and you receive a present, you do it with your hands, right? Does that mean your hands earned that gift? No. And don't try to hand people money for gifts they're giving you. That'll offend them. It's just the instrument through which God grants, and He he grants us faith so that we receive His Son. Watch this. This The verse says that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, You're saved by grace. Through faith. Grace is what has been purchased for you by Christ. As well as faith. 
All of the grace by faith salvation. Look at what it says. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The antecedent of it is the entirety of grace by faith salvation. Which would include the faith with which you connect to God. It says, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You cannot work your way to God. You must be saved as a sinner, as a beggar, who would receive the free gift of salvation in Christ if you will be saved. Salvation, the response to the Gospel is repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I've told you this, but there are probably some of you here who've never heard me explain this before. But the, 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 the Reformers defined faith with three elements of faith. Knowledge, assent, and trust. So in other words, saving faith includes all three of these. The first essential element of faith is knowledge of the facts of the Gospel. You have to hear the Gospel. You have to know Jesus was the Son of God who lived for us, who died, who was raised from the grave. But just knowing that doesn't save you. Think about it. The devil knows that. I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you in case you're wondering. He's not saved. He hates God and Jesus. He hates everything to do with it. He hates you. <laughs> Faith, you have to know the facts of the Gospel. Secondly, you have to assent to those facts. You have to believe that they are true. Newsflash, you're not saved yet. We haven't graduated from the category of evil yet. Again, the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe those facts. But it won't do them any good because they hate Him. They reject Him. But you have to know the Gospel. You have to believe the Gospel is true. And this is where so many people stop. If you witness to people, people will tell you, I believe in God. At that point, it's probably not a good time to say, yeah, well, so does Satan. But help them see that more is required than just mental assent to the Gospel. So you, you, got, you have to know what the Gospel is. You have to believe that the facts are true. But the third essential element of true and saving faith is trust. It's trust. Trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Throwing the weight of your soul on Him. Trusting that His life, death, burial, and resurrection is your salvation. Nothing of you. Are you trusting Jesus and Jesus alone this morning? This is an old illustration and it's not a perfect one. But I believe that stool will hold me up. I didn't put that there this morning. I don't know why it's there other than this. But I believe it. Mentally, I believe that stool will hold me up. Am I trusting it? Not trusting it yet. Now I'm trusting it. I have placed my weight on it. I'm depending upon it to hold me up. You might believe Jesus is the Son of God who lived, died, and was raised from the grave, but if you are not trusting Him for your salvation, you've not placed the weight of your salvation, taken it off of you and placed it on Him. 100%. 
Again, I'm not saying you have to have a perfect faith, but your hope is in Jesus. So true and saving faith is knowledge of the facts of the gospel, assent or belief that they're true, and the application, trusting in Christ alone. And that's all a work of grace. God works in us through the gospel to bring us from death to life so that we turn to Him in grief and hatred of our sin, grief over our sin and hatred of it, and receive His Son as our Savior. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is how we enter the Christian life. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is how we live the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of repentance and faith. It's a life of growth and grace. No, we're not perfect. We will be someday. But He has changed our hearts so that we love Him and want to live for Him. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was Paul's call to those who heard him preach the gospel. So that's the first thing. The message of Christianity is repentance and faith. We could talk much more about that, but I don't have time. Second head, the manner of Christianity is self-denial. How it is lived out is in denial of self and love for and trust in Jesus. You see it clearly in Paul. Look in verse 22. He says this, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And you can just hear the Ephesian elders saying, Then don't go! Take care of number one. Avoid danger at all cost. This is going to be uncomfortable, Paul. What are you doing? Following Jesus is what he's doing. Look. Look what he says. Imprisonment. Afflictions. And I'm not going to spend much time on that because we're going to see that as we study through the rest of Acts. The Spirit through prophets and other people were telling Paul and giving him indications of what are going to happen. And they will. But he says this. But I do not account my life as of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of His grace. And now behold, I, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Notice, proclaiming the gospel is proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's proclaiming the King and our submission to the King, our trust in the King. He says, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God, will see my face again. Therefore, I attest to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. He's been a faithful watchman, a faithful witness. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And he'll go on then to give them a warning. And we're going we're gonna to stop there. But suffering is in the plan. And Paul knows it. And it, see, this is the weird part. Maybe... To us. He embraces it. He doesn't run from it. He doesn't think it shouldn't happen. He's a good disciple of Jesus. And Jesus is a good master and a good prophet. Who has told us ahead of time what to expect. John 16.33. Jesus said to his disciples there. I've said these things to you. That in me you have may, may have peace. Through knowing his word and what he says to us. We have peace. He said in the world you will have tribulation. 
trouble, suffering. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is clear. In this world, we're going to have trouble. This is only part of the trouble Paul would ever experience for Christ. And he's had a prior warning of what is coming. But he's not letting the trouble trip up the mission. He's willing to walk through it. He would tell Timothy in his last letter that he would write in 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will suffer because of the gospel. If we're desiring to live for him, that means we're going to speak for him. We're going to share the gospel and the world doesn't like that and it's going to bring trouble. Especially this embracing of trouble that comes from being faithful to Jesus. Now, all affliction in life is is under God's sovereignty and used by Him for His glory. But He's especially talking about the suffering because of the preaching of the gospel. That's what really got Paul in trouble. If we're faithful to Christ and we're not perfect, but we're seeking to grow in faithfulness, we're seeking to live for Him and speak for Him, don't be tripped up by trouble coming. It will. But He will tame it and use it and make you look more like Jesus through it. He may even use it to take you home. Martyrs around the world experiencing that today. First Peter tells us not to be surprised because we are surprised often by the trouble. But Peter says in 4, 12, and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the easy trial when it comes upon you to test you. Well, only if you think standing in fire is easy. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you. First part of that epistle, test your faith. Prove it genuine. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. The suffering that comes at us as for, because we are a Christian. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Isn't that exactly opposite of what we naturally expect? We expect that if we will follow God and be good or whatever that means, do right, that life will be easy because He'll just make it easy. And He says, no, if you follow faith, me faithfully, life's going to be harder because of that. And we're like, no, no, I don't want to hear that. I'll go find me somebody that'll tell me something different. But that's the truth. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes to you. Look what happened to Jesus. Paul's embracing that. Listen to me. Self-denial is required for faithfulness. I mean, to come to, Christ, to come to faith, you have to deny yourself. Stop hoping in anything of you. Place all of that on the dung heap, like the, the quote I gave you, and hope only in Jesus. But to live the Christian life requires self-denial. And that's what we see exemplified in Paul. And this is an amazing statement. It's one that stopped me in my tracks when I read it again and made me say, really? Wow, that's... I mean, do I think like this? Do you think like this? Watch this. Watch what Paul said in verse 24. I seek to build up my self-esteem in every way I can. And so, I know I'm precious. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. That's, a, that's how to have your best life now. <laughs> Look at this in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value. Nor as precious to myself. If only I may faithfully follow Jesus. Just shortcut. 
I do not count my life of any value. Nor as precious to me. He can have it all. I'm, I'm, this is me quoting Paul. <laughs> I promise you, I'm still working on this attitude, right? And you are too, hopefully. But, but look at the amazing statement. And Paul has said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he says, my life is of no value and is not precious to me. What matters to me is spending, being spent for Jesus, whatever that means. And I just want you to go home and meditate on that. And just let it search you. Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Because I promise you, on a daily basis, we need grace and mercy and forgiveness from God because we get out of the bed counting our life as value and precious and defending our turf and self and seeking to avoid hardship at all cost. Because that worldly mindset of you only live once, grab all the gusto you can get is not a biblical mindset. Take my life and let it be. What does it say? Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold. Woo! Not a my. I mean... Just take it all, Lord Jesus. You have died and laid down your life for me. Take my life. Paul says, I don't account my life valuable or precious. Do you count your life valuable and precious? Yes, you do. We need to repent of that and cry out to God and help Him to grow us in thinking this way so that we can be faithful. Because one of the biggest reasons we don't talk to people about Jesus is we care what they think about us. We're defending self. We won't risk any of our Facebook followers or Twitter followers. or And I'm, young people, I'm not picking on you because I have that stuff on my phone as well. Be careful about it, though. Can you lay it down for a few days? I do not count my life as any value or precious. Mark 8, 34 and 35, Jesus said, calling to the crowd... Calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Look what, this is just flowing from Jesus. He said, if anyone would come after me. What does that mean? If anyone would follow me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. See, we can't half step. We can't make life about me and about Jesus. That, that rips you in half because those boats are going in opposite directions. Die to self. That's what that means. Follow Jesus. Think about the original apostles. If they were going to follow Jesus, they had to leave everything and walk those dusty trails of Palestine with him. We die to self. Take up the cross. Follow Jesus. And the oddity of it is this is the most joyful life you could live. God's not trying to steal you joy. He's trying to give it to you. We just try to find it in the wrong place. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. Now watch this. This is Paul, same guy. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died. All in union with Christ. The old man has died. The new has come, right? And he, watch this. Why did Jesus die? Verse 15. He died for all that those who live might live out their destiny in, in full 
Self-fulfillment. I'm mocking some stuff right now and I'm doing it on purpose, okay? He died for all that so those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. So coming to faith in Jesus is me you know, taking the crown off my head, Lord willing, and it's already on Jesus's and submitting to Him. Life is no longer about me and my plans, but about Him and His plans. So that's why we should in everything we pray for and pray about say, not my will, but yours, your will be done. But you can see for Paul these essential elements of Christianity. Take one of these away. It's coming from Jesus and you don't have Christianity. You have something else. If you don't have repentance, faith, self-denial, you don't have Christianity. It's essential to it. This is true Christianity. The, the kind we see exampled in Paul. He's not on a, you know, it's not Paul in this category over here and the rest of us over here. And he was an apostle, so God required more. He, he, had, he had a different job for him, right? But the, the essence of Christianity is the same for both of us and for all of us. A turning to God, a trusting in Jesus, and a living now for Him. So, self-denial. Does that mean you have to quit your job and give away all your stuff and move to... No, it doesn't. It means He's Lord of all that and you do your family, you do your job, you do your neighboring, you do all that in accord with His commands. His Word. This is Paul's Christianity and I'm just asking you, is it yours? Turning and trusting. Turning from sin and trusting Jesus. Hating sin and wanting to be free of it. The gospel doesn't make an excuse for our sin. It comes at our sin to deliver us from it. So that we look to Christ and trust in Christ and pray that He would empower us to say no to what dishonors Him and yes to what honors Him. And that He will set us free from the things that have entrapped us. Sometimes we get trapped. And listen, I'm going to give you a secret with this because it's, it's biblical Christianity. Many times you can't get free by yourself. You need brothers and sisters around you, community, faithful counselors, help. If you've given yourself over to something and it's become entrenched in your life, you're going to be the really odd duck if you can Lone Ranger that out. You'll need help. But Christ is with you. His power is for you and He will set you free. Did you come to Christ hoping He would be okay with your sin or that He would deliver you from it? Are you walking with Christ just hoping He's okay with it or that He will deliver you from it? The same power that raised Him from the dead is in you. The Holy Spirit. Forgiveness for all of your sins. Clothed in His righteousness. Empowered by the Spirit. Therefore, in His strength, able to grow in grace and progressively say no to things that dishonor Him to sin and yes to righteousness. None of us are glorified yet. None of us are perfect yet. But we should all be on the way and facing towards Jesus. And seeking Him to work faithfulness in us. Are you trusting in Christ and nothing else for your salvation? I mean, we sang that this morning. Rock of ages, right? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Watch this. Let me hide myself in Thee. Let the water and the blood from Thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. 
save from wrath and make me pure. Justification, sanctification, entirety of the Christian life. Lord, I have come to you now. Cleanse me from my sin and the wrath do my sin and work in me. Make me like you are and like I am positionally before you in Christ. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. So the gospel requires self-denial. Again, can we say with Paul, or how, how effectively can we say with Paul, I do not count my life of any value or precious to myself. Do we trust Jesus enough to believe Him and deny ourselves for His sake? In other words, if He says it's good, it's good. If He says it's bad, it's bad. It's to be cast away if it's bad and embraced if it's good the way Jesus defined things, no matter how it seems to me. The question we ask is not, does it work? Because whatever your purpose is, you might achieve it with sin. The first question to ask is, does it glorify God? And if it doesn't, that answers, that settles it. We will never be able to glorify God with a self-indulgent mentality. And I know there's plenty of preachers out there that will help you foster that. If you like Pied Pipers, if you like Ears Tickled, they are big places where you can get that done. But you'll never be able to glorify God with a self-indulgent mentality unless your self-fulfillment is found in His glory. See, our hearts are retuned to what fulfillment really is, what joy really is, what purpose really is as we are following Jesus. In fact, Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. The Gospel is what satisfies us in Him, not Him giving us a bunch of stuff. If He's given you a bunch of stuff, be faithful with that stuff, but don't hope in it. Hope in Him. We were born... With the motto, to live is me and to die is loss. Or scary, or all of the above. That's how we're born. It's my world and you're just visiting. To live is me and to die is lost. But we are born again to the motto, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The latter is what we see in Paul. In fact, he's where that comes from. So just like water has a specific chemical makeup that can't be changed or you don't have water anymore, Christianity has essential elements which are repentance, faith, and self-denial. Take one away and you don't have Christianity. In fact, faith and repentance will lead to self-denial. So it is a sort of a, a following there. But that's the essential nature of Christianity as Paul lived it and as Paul taught it. And we know he taught the truth of the gospel so it is the same with us. The good news is God produces all three in the hearts of those He saves. It's not up to our strength, it's His. The gospel comes to us that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried and He was raised from the grave, and that He gives salvation as a free gift. And so as that general offer goes out, the Spirit is at work to take us from death to life so that we turn and now trust in 
and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. He works in us by His grace, repentance and faith and a life of growingly joyful. This is not asceticism. Just make yourself miserable. Self-denial. Deference to Jesus in all things. He nurtures and grows them as we walk with Christ and deepen in His gospel. It is all a work of His grace. Is His grace at work in you? Is your Christianity that? Repentance, faith, life of self-denial. If not, it's not Christianity. But also the grace in the gospel is needed by us every day because none of us are perfectly there yet. Turn, trust, rest in Jesus. Believe on Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Trust Him. Walk with Him. He'll take you all the way home to the new heavens and the new earth. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your truth. Thank You for the Apostle Paul's faithful life. Lord, we remember who this man was. Back in chapter 8, he is the villain. He's the one seeking to destroy your church. He's the one who thinks he's righteous and thinks he's serving God by persecuting your saints. He's the one that you arrested on the road to Damascus. That you saved. That you made an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of now trying to destroy the church, he became an apostle and a preacher of the gospel. What a testimony of your grace. Help us to believe you. Because this is simply your word. Your life. Your truth. Your faith. Your Christianity flowing through your apostle. And being taught to the Ephesians and exampled to the Ephesians and because you're at were at work in him as an apostle inspiring your word so that his example through Luke comes down to us so that we can as he said follow Jesus yes but even follow Paul as he followed Christ in a life of repentance and faith and self-denial so Lord, my prayer is that your gospel would be so at work in us that you would be our treasure. Your gospel would be our purpose and your, your purpose would be our delight. Help us to be faithful Christians, faithful followers of Christ in every role and place that you have given us and put us, Lord, as, as parents, as children. As, as singles, as married, as widowers or widowed, as, as workers and co-workers and Christians with our brother. Help us to be faithful, living and loving for you. Faithful followers of Christ. People who are characterized by repentance and faith and self-denial. Christ embracing and may we be bold, even though it, it will bring resistance and it will bring suffering. May we be bold, as Paul was, to speak of your gospel and your grace to those who don't know you. To resist the evil that comes at us 
Not just with legalism. Lord, help us not to be Pharisees. But help us to be faithful gospel witnesses in our lives and with our lips to the truth of your gospel. To honor you, to love you, to, to love one another and encourage one another to live for you, for you, Lord. Lord, I pray, save those who are not trusting in you, even to our smallest children this morning or to the oldest adult maybe that's resisting you. May your blood, may your sacrifice be for us the double cure that saves us from wrath and that makes us pure. Makes us people who are growing in grace. Growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord bring to faith those who don't know you. Those who are not trusting and resting in you. Lord bring to repentance those who are resisting you in various ways in their life. Encourage and strengthen those who, those who are trying to follow you. And, and the, the difficulty of life just kind of gets discouraging sometimes. Lord, we get our eyes off you and we get our eyes on ourselves and our circumstances and we, we think it should be different and we just go down this trail of melancholy and unbelief. Help us to get our eyes on you and to keep them there. To know that to live is Christ. This life is really ultimately about you. And because you have loved us and lived for us and died for us and been raised for us, Lord, to die is gain because to die takes us directly and immediately into your presence to be with you forever. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Help us to believe it. And help us to be instruments in your hands to promote it. Lord, we praise you and thank you for your grace. We thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul and others that we have in Scripture that show us that Christ came to save sinners, not perfect people, sinners, and that you have much patience and grace with us as we grow in grace. And that you never give up and you will take us all the way home. Thank you, Lord. Help us to believe you and trust you and rest in you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask it. Amen.